0: chapter 11 of chrome yellow by aldous huxley this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter 11 mr barbecue smith was gone the motor had whirled him away to the station a faint smell of burning oil commemorated his recent departure a considerable detachment had come into the courtyard to speed him on his way and now they were walking back round the side of the house towards the terrace and the garden they walked in silence nobody had yet ventured to comment on the departed guest well said anne at last turning with raised inquiring eyebrows to denis well it was time for someone to begin denis declined the invitation he passed it on to mr scogan well he said mr scogan did not respond he only repeated the question well it was left for henry wimbush to make a pronouncement a very agreeable adjunct to the weekend he said his tone was obituary they had descended without paying much attention where they were going the steep yew walk that went down under the flank of the terrace to the pool the house towered above them immensely tall with the whole height of the built-up terrace added to its own seventy feet of brick façade the perpendicular lines of the three towers soared up uninterrupted enhancing the impression of height until it became overwhelming they paused at the edge of the pool to look back the man who built this house knew his business said denis he was an architect was he said henry wimbush reflectively i doubt it the builder of this house was sir ferdinand de lapeth who flourished during the reign of elizabeth he inherited the estate from his father to whom it had been granted at the time of the dissolution of the monasteries for crome was originally a cloister of monks and this swimming pool their fish-pond sir ferdinando was not content merely to adapt the old monastic buildings to his own purposes but using them as a stone quarry for his barns and byres and outhouses he built for himself a grand new house of brick the house you see now he waved his hand in the direction of the house and was silent severe imposing almost menacing chrome loomed down on them the great thing about chrome said mr scogan seizing the opportunity to speak is the fact that it's so unmistakably and aggressively a work of art it makes no compromise with nature but affronts it and rebels against it it has no likeness to shelley's tower and the epicycidion which if i remember rightly seems not now a work of human art but as it were titanic in the heart of earth having assumed its form and grown out of the mountain from the living stone lifting itself in caverns light and high no no there isn't any nonsense of that sort about chrome that the hovels of the peasantry should look as though they had grown out of the earth to which their inmates are attached is right no doubt and suitable but the house of an intelligent civilized and sophisticated man should never seem to have sprouted from the clods it should rather be an expression of his grand unnatural remoteness from the cloddish life since the days of william morris that's a fact which we in england have been unable to comprehend civilized and sophisticated men have solemnly played at being peasants hence quaintness arts and crafts cottage architecture and all the rest of it in the suburbs of our cities you may see reduplicated in endless rows studiedly quaint imitations and adaptations of the village hovel poverty ignorance and a limited range of materials produced the hovel which possesses undoubtedly in suitable surroundings its own as it were titanic charm we now employ our wealth our technical knowledge a rich variety of materials for the purpose of building millions of imitation hovels in totally unsuitable surroundings could imbecility go further henry wimbush took up the thread of his interrupted discourse all that you say my dear scogan he began is certainly very just very true but whether sir ferdinando shared your views about architecture or if indeed he had any views about architecture at all i very much doubt in building this house, Sir Ferdinando was, as a matter of fact, preoccupied by only one thought, the proper placing of his privies. Sanitation was the one great interest of his life. In 1573 he even published on this subject a little book, now extremely scarce, called Certain Privy Councils by one of Her Majesty's Most Honourable Privy Councils, F. L. Knight, in which the whole matter is treated with great learning and elegance his guiding principle in arranging the sanitation of a house was to secure that the greatest possible distance should separate the privy from the sewage arrangements hence it followed inevitably that the privies were to be placed at the top of the house being connected by vertical shafts with pits or channels in the ground it must not be thought that sir ferdinando was moved only by material and merely sanitary conditions for the placing of his privies in an exalted position he had also certain excellent spiritual reasons for he argues in the third chapter of his privy councils the necessities of nature are so base and brutish that in obeying them we are apt to forget that we are the noblest creatures of the universe to counteract these degrading effects he advised that the privy should be in every house the room nearest to heaven that it should be well provided with windows commanding an extensive and noble prospect and that the walls of the chamber should be lined with bookshelves containing all the ripest products of human wisdom such as the proverbs of solomon boethius's consolations of philosophy the apothames of epictetus and marcus aurelius the enciridion of erasmus and all other works ancient or modern which testify to the nobility of the human soul in chrome he was able to put his theories into practice at the top of each of the three projecting towers he placed a privy from these a shaft went down the whole height of the house that is to say more than seventy feet through the cellars and into a series of conduits provided with flowing water tunnelled in the ground on a level with the base of the raised terrace these conduits emptied themselves into the stream several hundred yards below the fish-pond the total depth of the shafts from the top of the towers to their subterranean conduits was a hundred and two feet the eighteenth century with its passion for modernization swept away these monuments of sanitary ingenuity were it not for tradition and the explicit account of them left by sir ferdinando we should be unaware that these noble privies had ever existed we should even suppose that sir ferdinando built his house after this strange and splendid model for merely aesthetic reasons the contemplation of the glories of the past always evoked in henry wimbush a certain enthusiasm under the grey bowler his face worked and glowed as he spoke the thought of these vanished privies moved him profoundly he ceased to speak the light gradually died out of his face and it became once more the replica of the grave polite hat which shaded it there was a long silence the same gently melancholy thoughts seemed to possess the mind of each of them permanence transience sir ferdinando and his privies were gone chrome still stood how brightly the sun shone and how inevitable was death the ways of god were strange the ways of man were stranger still it does one's heart good exclaimed mr scogan at last to hear of these fantastic english aristocrats to have a theory about privies and to build an immense and splendid house in order to put it into practice it's magnificent beautiful i like to think of them all the eccentric my lords rolling across europe in ponderous carriages bound on extraordinary errands one is going to venice to buy la bianchi's larynx he won't get it till she's dead of course but no matter he's prepared to wait he has a collection pickled in glass bottles of the throats of famous opera singers and the instruments of renowned virtuosi he goes in for them too he will try to bribe paganini to part with his little Guarnerio, but he has small hope of success paganini won't sell his fiddle but perhaps he might sacrifice one of his guitars others are bound on crusades one to die miserably among the savage greeks another in his white top hat to lead italians against their oppressors others have no business at all they are just giving their oddity a continental airing at home they cultivate themselves at leisure and with greater elaboration beckford builds towers portland digs holes in the ground cavendish the millionaire lives in a stable eats nothing but mutton and amuses himself oh solely for his private delectation by anticipating the electrical discoveries of half a century glorious eccentrics every age is enlivened by their presence some day my dear dennis said mr scogan turning a beady bright regard in his direction some day you must become their biographer the lives of queer men what a subject i should like to undertake it myself mr scogan paused looked up once more at the towering house then murmured the word eccentricity two or three times eccentricity it's the justification of all aristocracies it justifies leisured classes and inherited wealth and privilege and endowments and all the other injustices of that sort if you're to do anything reasonable in this world you must have a class of people who are secure safe from public opinion safe from poverty leisured not compelled to waste their time in the imbecile routines that go by the name of honest work you must have a class of which the members can think and within the obvious limits do what they please you must have a class in which people who have eccentricities can indulge them and in which eccentricity in general will be tolerated and understood that's the important thing about an aristocracy not only is it eccentric itself often grandiosely so it also tolerates and even encourages eccentricity in others the eccentricities of the artist and the new-fangled thinker don't inspire it with that fear loathing and disgust which the burgesses instinctively feel towards them it is a sort of red indian reservation planted in the midst of a vast horde of poor whites colonials at that within its boundaries wild men disport themselves often it must be admitted a little grossly a little too flamboyantly and when kindred spirits are born outside the pale it offers them some sort of refuge from the hatred which the poor whites en bons bourgeois lavish on anything that is wild or out of the ordinary after the social revolution there will be no reservations the redskins will be drowned in the great sea of poor whites what then will they suffer you to go on writing villanelles my good dennis will you unhappy henry be allowed to live in this house of the splendid privies to continue your quiet delving in the mines of feudal knowledge will anne and you said anne interrupting him will you be allowed to go on talking you may rest assured mr scogan replied that i shall not i shall have some honest work to do End of chapter eleven recording by expatriate in bangor maine